Here we go. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, starting from the beginning. They brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it, and they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins to each Israelite man and woman. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to extol, thank and praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, and next to him in rank was Zechariah, then Jezael, Shemaramoth, Jehiel, Matihiah, Eliab, Beniah, Obed-Edom, and Jael. They were to play the lyres and harps. Aphaph was to sound the cymbals, and Beniah and Jephthah the priests were to blow the trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. That day, David first appointed Asaph and his associates to give praise to the Lord in this manner. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength, and seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Israel, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob, he is the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the promises he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it, he confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as a portion you will inherit. When they were but a few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day by day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of all the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in, spl in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, God our Saviour. Gather us and deliver us from, our na from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory to your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all his people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. David 
left Asaph and his associates before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister there regularly according to each day's requirement. He also left Obed-Edom and his 68 associates to minister with them. Obed-Edom, son of Jeduthun, and also Hosea, Hosea were gatekeepers. David left Zadok, the priest, and his fellow priests before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place in Gideon to present burnt offerings to the Lord on the, al on the altar of burnt offerings regularly, morning and evening, in accordance with everything written in the law of the Lord, which he had given to Israel. With them were Heman and Jeduthun, and the, rest of, and the rest of the chosen and designated by name to give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Heman and Jeduthun were responsible for the sounding of the trumpets and cymbals and for the playing of other instruments for the sacred, for the sacred song. The sons of Jeduthun were stationed at the gate. Then all the people left, each for their own home, and David returned home to bless his family. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I just pray now, as Nick comes to expound, not, just, not particularly that passage, but the Psalms themselves, Lord, uh, that you can give him your words, that we can hear you speaking directly through what Nick says to us this morning. Uh, bless us this morning through Nick's, uh, Nick's sermon. Amen. We're going to look at some um, Psalms, and I think it's, uh, it's very easy. Um, I think the Lord's been really gracious to us over the last year and over this lockdown year because we managed to do largely what we planned to study. Um, we looked at Ephesians, and then when I was on sabbatical, thankfully, um, uh, Ashford Kong were really good to us, and they filled in uh, Ephesians. That was part of the plan for the year. It was part of the plan for the year to look at the covenants. That was something we thought about doing now, but we brought that earlier, and we planned to look at the Book of Acts, uh, which we've done. So not in the order that we intended to do it, um, but the Lord's been gracious to us, and we've managed to study the things um, that we intended to study. And now we've got a bit of a gap, and it's always, a bit temp it's always tempting uh, to fill in a gap with a few random psalms. Um, and it's not really a good way to treat the Psalms. And we've done that over the years. We've done Psalms in the, uh, in, in the summer. I'm not knocking it, um, but I wanted to do something different. Uh, I wanted to take a, a, a good look uh, at what the Psalms are, uh, how they're organized, how we use them. I want to make them practical Psalms um, that we can use uh, in the everyday. So, I don't think it's any secret I told you that in the last six months the Lord has dug really deeply and sometimes brutally into my life. That's his prerogative. I gave him that prerogative when I said, I, I trust you as Lord and Saviour. You cannot have Jesus as, as your Saviour without him being your Lord. And when you said to him, I make you Lord and Saviour, you gave him, like me, the prerogative to um, dig deeply into your life and to comment and to speak into what he sees. And Rob said last week, and one of the things I took away from what Rob said was that unless the Lord is bringing things to light in your life, unless there is somewhere along the line some uh, conviction of sin, then your relationship with, something is wrong with your relationship with him. It has atrophied or maybe it's died. Because the Bible repeatedly tells us that the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. <clears throat> that happens without fail. Note that, that the Lord disciplines 
the one he loves and he chastens. In other words, he, he corrects, he speaks words of, of correction to those that he accepts as his son. So I want, to give you, I want to give you 30 seconds just to stop and say to the Lord, I give you today the prerogative to dig into my life. So let's be quiet. So for me, the Lord is digging out in my life the, the remaining impact of an unusual upbringing. I don't think any of our upbringings are, are normal uh, and, and we grow up with a, a whole heap of habits and, and ways of thinking and, and things that have been spoken into our lives uh, from, from maybe from a very young age. And it's been um, brutal but exciting to see the Lord want to speak something different into my life than those things that were spoken from an early age. Um, and my relationship with God's word has been both the agent of that change and the beneficiary of that change. And I think that's always the case. So it is his word uh, under his spirit that the Lord is using to, to dig into my life. It's God's word. That is the way he changes people. He changes you because he speaks to you by his word and, it, and the Holy Spirit comes and it, and it makes that hit home to your heart. It gives you that sense of reality. This is the voice of the Lord to me. But equally, my relationship with uh, the word is a beneficiary of that change. And so I said to you before that at times uh, in the last three months when I felt so at sea uh, on any given day that all, I, that all I can do is just carry on reading the Bible. And I said to the Lord, if I'm going to do nothing else today, I'm going to read your scriptures. But even that for me, and probably for you as well, would be a sign of growth. That when we're in tough times, we come back to the word. So it's both the agent of change, but it's both a sign of change that my relationship with the Bible keeps on growing. And I think at the core of that process of change, uh, for me, have been the Psalms. Psalms are amazing. Psalms are totally amazing. So why are we coming back to the Psalms? Well, because they are these amazing prayers. Psalms deal with our emotions and our affections. The Psalms are emotional. And they gave, give you permission uh, to be emotional. They give you uh, permission to, to speak to God in quite dramatic and outspoken kind of ways. I think that's one of the great legacies of the Psalms. The Psalms are like the Bible in miniature. I kind of, I'm not going to, uh, we'll deal with that in a minute, but I'm not going to try and prove that to you, but hopefully that'll come clear as we go along. And, and the third thing to look at is the Psalms reveal to us the heart of Christ in a new way. I think that's what's really precious about them is that they, we hear the heart uh, of our Saviour Jesus when we read the Psalms. I'm going to deal with those three things, but a different length in each of them. 
So the Psalms and our emotions. I found um, Christopher Ash. You can Google him, but really helpful in looking at the Psalms. Read some other stuff, but I think if you were to go anywhere, um, go to Christopher Ash. He's written a book called Psalms for You from the Good Book Company. That'd be a good start. If you're a home group leader, there's a book called Teaching the Psalms. That would be useful. Um, or if you just want to pick up him online, you'll find he spoke at Keswick on some Psalms, and those are on YouTube. There are some lectures on YouTube, and they go a little bit deeper. But he notes, as I guess we could note, that churches, since the charismatic renewals of the 60s and onwards in the West, churches have tended to polarise a bit with their regards to their view of emotions. So some churches seem to be maybe a bit less emotional, maybe a bit more intellectual. And they say, well, the Bible says this, and I just, I just do it. Don't, don't need to feel it. It, uh, it says it, uh, and I do it. And I used to call that kind of the engineer's view of Christianity. It's like you read a book of instructions, it says this, and I, I just do it. And, and there's something about that that I quite admire. Uh, I, I'd like to be more like that in many ways. There's a real honor for the word of God in those churches. They're clearly biblically grounded. But sometimes I wonder what to do with my emotions. Or the passion seems a little bit lacking. So I admire that kind of church, but I don't know whether I would survive because my powerful emotions get in the way. And my unruly temperament says I, I want to feel it too. Don't just tell me about it. Uh, it needs to impact me in the heart, and I want to feel it too. But on the other side, then you might go to a different church, and they might be full of passion, but it can seem at times undirected or not controlled by biblical truth and that won't do either and this is where the psalms are helpful psalms are full of passionate heartfelt emotions and they give you permission to express emotion at that kind of level just try it just flick through a few psalms and say what is a psalmist thinking what is a psalmist feeling and so I love um, Christopher Rash in the the Psalms for You book he says I invite you on a journey to learn how to feel he says the Psalms are God's chosen way to engage our thinking and our feeling in a way that is passionate thoughtful true and authentic and he says the Psalms show us how to express our varied feelings but more than that They reorder our disordered affections. (coughs) Do you get that? So they give you permission, they help you express your feelings, but they also reorder our disordered affections so that we feel deeper desires for what we ought to desire, more urgent aversion to that from which we need to flee, and a greater longing for the honour of God in the health of Christ church. So the Psalms, they help us express our emotions, but they also help us order our emotions. Help us see where our emotions ought to go and ought to do. And here I think it's worth noting the difference between what I would call an emotion and an affection. So for the purpose of this series, I'm going to talk emotions as a feeling that arises in any given situation. And the feeling that arises in any situation can be quite momentary. I think emotions are relatively transient. And emotions can be appropriate or they can be inappropriate. That's the difficulty with emotions. An affection, 
Talk about our affections. What are those things you love? What, are, what an affection is a settled desire of the heart. A settled desire of the heart. So, think about coming to church. I come to church and one day I might think I've got great joy. I want to go and see my brothers and sisters. On another day I think I really struggle to drag myself out of bed. And get to church. Um, your emotion is different from one day for the next. But my settled affection, my affection is for the people of Stains Kong. I love the people of Stains Kong. And the spirit is growing in me. Um, that affection day by day. Um, year on year should be doing the same for you too same with coming to the bible you come to it one day and you think I'm really excited about this and the next day you think oh do I really have to do this those are your emotions but your affection is you love the word of God and that love should be growing under the influence of the spirit year day by day and year by year so the psalms teach us what we should love and what we should hate they teach us what our affections should be while allowing us to express powerful emotions um, along the way. So that's why the Psalms are so important for us as Christians. Sorry, I didn't pop that up. The Psalms are like the Bible in, in miniature. And I'm not going to say much about this except here's a little quote from Martin in Luther. <clears throat> he says, I have a notion that the, that the Holy Spirit wanted to take the trouble to come himself to compile a short Bible. He says, I think that Holy Spirit wanted to compile a short Bible and book of examples for all the saints so that anyone who couldn't read the Bible would have here anyway almost an entire summary of it comprised in one little book. That's an amazing quote, isn't it? As I say, we're not going to, uh, I'm hoping that's going to become self-evident uh, along the way. Uh, so I'm not going to try and prove it this morning because we'd have to read through a whole load of Psalms. But Martin Luther says that in the Psalms you've got really everything that you need please don't use that as an excuse and I'm reading only the Psalms and nothing else though actually it wouldn't be a bad thing if, if you're really struggling um, with reading the Bible <clears throat> that was the second thing and the third thing is that the Psalms um, are the prayers of Jesus Christ now here we need to stop and we need to we need to think about this for a minute because if we're honest about it we can't pray the Psalms. Before we can really pray the Psalms, we have to realize that we can't pray the Psalms. They're too big and they're too intense. So we love the Psalms and they speak about trouble, but the Psalmists seem to have bigger troubles than us. So Psalm 22, the Psalmist says, many bulls surround me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open, them, open my mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It's melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Now, I know you will have had up days and down days, but you probably won't have had those kind of days. But even if you're not convinced by that, then think about this. The Psalms make claims of innocence that are more than we can live up to. So how could you pray Psalm 17? Uh, David says, though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you will find that I've planned no evil and my mouth has not transgressed. How can you pray that? We've got a problem. We can't pray the Psalms with that, saying that in reality. 
And again, the psalmist walks on a national, even global scale, which is beyond our significance. Um, Psalm 118, the psalmist says, all nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, um, I cut them off. You can't pray that. I can't pray that. I can't say all nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I, I, I cut them off. It's too big. And then the psalmist, of, of course, quite often, you will have noticed this, will, will calls for judgment on the wicked that if we prayed it, if we were honest, would be calling down judgment on ourselves. So even at the end of Psalm 39, 139, which is that great psalm about test me and know my anxious thoughts, the, the psalmist says, if, if only you, God, would, would slay the wicked. And you think, yeah, I want to I pray that, but hang on a minute. Does that not include me? So we've got a problem. We can't pray the psalms as they're written. So in reality, we pray bits of the psalms. We pray selected highlights. What are we going to do? Well, we have to take a step back, and then we can take a step forward. We have to take a step back and say that these are not our prayers. They are the Messiah's prayers. They're the Messiah's praise. He is the ultimate sufferer. He is the innocent one who can pray those prayers. He is the universal king who has control over all nations. And he is the final judge of all, the only person who can call down judgment without call down, calling down judgment on themselves. So we have to step back and say these are the prayers of the Messiah. And then we step forward and we say, I can, I can but... I can only pray them in Christ, as I stand in Christ. But I think I want to try and explain that to you. How can we say that these are Jesus' prayers? Because the Psalms, they're clearly um, an edited collection. They've been collated over hundreds of years. The earliest was written by Moses. Um, some were written after the exile. So that's long after David was dead. They were, they were all brought to, together into the book. But the majority of the Psalms are, are written by David. 70-odd Psalms, can't remember the number, are, are explicitly attributed to David. And then the New Testament tell us that one or two others that don't have his name on were written by him as, uh, as well. And what I want you to do, and in your home group's Thursday night, I'm going to invite you to take a, sorry, Wednesday or Thursday night, whenever you meet, um, I'm going to invite you to flip through the book of Psalms and see who wrote them. You might want to have a little, book, you might want to have a little go at that before, and that would save you a bit of time in, in your home groups, um, and check some of those names against some of those names that came up in 1 Chronicles 16. Um, and what you will find, kind of, I suppose it's a bit of a spoiler alert, but what you will find is that most of the Psalms, they're either written by David or they're written by the musicians that he appointed or they're written by people who uh, fulfilled those temple ministries that David instituted. And so that's why we can say that the Psalms are essentially the, the Psalms of David. They're rooted in this covenant with David. You remember the covenants? Which is the final covenant before the new, the new covenant comes. And in that context, in that 
context of the covenant with David, and, and David is the king, David is the Messiah. Because he is the anointed one. That's what Messiah means. He is anointed by Samuel um, to be king. David is the anointed one. And so David prefigures um, the coming Messiah. He's a kind of pattern for, a foreshadowing of the Messiah that is Christ. David is the anointed one, the Messiah, God's chosen king of the day. And he prefigures um, Christ, God's glorious ultimate Messiah. He's king over all things. And not only that, though, David prophesies about the coming Messiah. So David is writing poetry out of his own experience. But he was anointed by the Holy Spirit um, when he became king. But he was anointed before that, um, when Samuel first anointed him. And out of that anointing, he wrote um, songs uh, and he sang and out of that combination of foreshadowing the Messiah and, and being a prophet and having the spirit of prophecy in his heart, he, he writes prayers which express the heart of the Messiah. Peter on the day of Pentecost says of David he was a prophet. So David prefigures the Messiah. David prophesies about the Messiah. So, of course, we've got these psalms then. They are the psalms are of the Messiah. Uh, they're the prayers of Jesus. But, of course, we need Christ to be able to pray at, at all. So our prayer, it's important, our prayers and praying without Christ are unacceptable to God. Your prayers and your praying without Christ are unacceptable to God. Uh, Isaiah 59, your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that you will not, so that he will not hear. Your prayers, not acceptable before God because you're a sinner. There's only one person that God listens to on merit, and that is Jesus. So he could pray. <clears throat> Remember at the tomb of Lazarus? But take away the stone. Jesus looked up to his father uh, and he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know, I knew that you always hear me. And then look what happened. He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. Why does Lazarus come out? Because Jesus is the sinless man. He can pray before the Father. Uh, and he brings his prayer to, uh, before the Father and, and the Father answers. So you know we cannot come before the Lord in our own merit. We cannot bring prayers other than in Jesus' name. Jesus is the only person who has the merit, has the right to bring prayers uh, before the Father. And so you and I can only bring prayers to, to Father God in the name of Jesus. Jesus said that. Until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So you can only come before the Father and pray because of what Jesus has done for you, because you're credited with Jesus' perfect life and because your, your sins have been atoned for by Jesus' sacrificial death. Those two things have been counted to you 
his death, his sacrifice, his, his righteousness. You can only pray in, in Jesus' name. I'm going to move on. So because of the cross, we can pray in Jesus' name. Because of the cross, the Spirit enables you to pray. So I want us to pray Psalm 1. So I don't know what you need to do at this point. Okay, I knew we were going to go on a little bit long this morning. So maybe you need to just stand up, take a deep breath. Or just um, poke the person next to you and check we're, we're, all, we're all okay. All on board. Deep breath. So we finally got, we finally got to Psalm 1. We finally got to a psalm. It's gone off the edge of the screen a bit. That doesn't matter. Christopher Ash says that Psalm 1 is patently untrue. Okay. It's a good start, isn't it? Psalm 1 is patently untrue. Okay. Particularly if you compare it with Psalm 73. Blessed is the one who, who doesn't walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. Interesting. Christopher Ash says on the, on the face of it, that's patently untrue. Because the psalmist says, I envied the arrogant, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong. What's the solution? Well, let's look at the psalm and then we'll find the solution to that problem. And I want to, along the way, just to explain to you how psalms work. Hang in there. It's worth it. And once you get hold of this and you'll start to understand psalms. Most of Hebrew poetry, it doesn't rhyme, it doesn't have a meter. Um, It comes in couplets. It comes in, in two parallel lines, sometimes three. Um, sometimes more and the second line is sometimes uh, a completing of the first sort a thought or it's a restatement of, of the first thought so um, whose delight verse 2 uh, that per- the blessed person whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night the second the second line kind of completes the first line already explains um, the first line so that's a couplet um, Sometimes the second line contrasts the first line. So at the end, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, um, but the way of the Lord leads to destruction. So generally, you'll find all the way through, quite often, all the way through Proverbs, all the way through Psalms, you get these things in couplets. They come in two lines, uh, and the second one explains or expands on the first. Sometimes, but much less often, it contrasts it. Sometimes you get something really clever, um, like verse 3. Do you see it sort of goes A, B, B, A? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. The completing thought of that is whatever they do prospers. And then the in-between thoughts, it yields its fruit in season and lo- whose leaf doesn't wither. So you've got, you've got a kind of couplet, but it's sort of crossing over. It goes A, B, B, A. Um, it's called a chiasm. And sometimes you get a little kind of progression of thought. You get a little kind of staircase. So Psalm 1 has all these things in it. Um, And it's there in in the first verse. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit um, in the the company of of mockers. There's a kind of little staircase of of an argument building. And here it's particularly uh, about what it means to be blessed. 
talked about living in covenant with God, isn't it? We're right with God by grace through faith. But there is still a right way of, of walking so as to receive God's blessing. And this is the way to not be blessed. And that's to, to walk in step with unbelievers. Now, to walk could be quite casual, couldn't it? Walk could be just people you're meeting um, and, and you're, walking, you're walking along with them. It's a kind of casual relationship. Standing in the way that sinners take, standing is starting to take a stand on something. It's starting to say, yeah, I, I agree with what these people think. Sitting in the company of mockers takes you a degree further. To, to sit, sit was the place of teaching. And to mock is to just say, well, 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 God is just, he's unreal, he's not worth knowing, it's just a, it, it's just a joke. This is a, an increasing distance um, from the Lord. What happens to that person? They are like chaff that the wind blows away. The person who decides not to build their life on a relationship with God through their word, ultimately has no foundation. Ultimately, they have nothing um, to build their life on. They, they will have an illusion of stability. They might, build, um, they might build great empires, might build massive um, uh, businesses, uh, and we might think, hang on a minute, what, why is it, are they like chaff? It's an, illusion, it's an illusion of stability because they will not stand. They might stand up and say, I just don't believe it. But they have an inevitability that they will stand before God one day and that day they won't stand. The argument will not stand. And they will not stand in the assembly of the righteous. They will not be there in glory. They will not be in God's new um, creation. But let's come back to emotions and then try and um, come to a close. What's your emotion? What was your first emotion when you read that psalm? Blessed is the one. Doesn't walk in the step with the wicked. Doesn't stand in the way sinners take. Doesn't sit in the company of mockers. Delight in the law of the Lord. Meditates on his Lord day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Yields its fruit in season. Its leaf doesn't wither. Whatever they do, prospers. I wonder what, what was your emotion? If your emotion was, yes, that's me, um, then I think you're engaging in a little bit of wishful thinking. Okay, but what was your emotion? Or what was your emotion? Oh, I long for that. I long for that. I want to be the person who's whatever they do prospers always your always your emotion i i'm never gonna i'm never going to achieve this never going to achieve this and that's where praying this as a prayer of jesus comes in only one person is only one person in human history is this blessed person only one person, and that, of course, was Jesus. 
He's the only person who, who never walked along with the, uh, with the wicked, who, who never took a stand for the wrong thing, who, who never, somewhere in their heart, um, mocked the faith. The only person who never did that uh, was Jesus. The only person who constantly delighted in the will of the Father was Christ. And so he was like a tree planted by streams of water, always yielding fruit in season, always doing the right thing, um, always prospering in the work that God had given him to do. The good news, you can receive this blessedness that Christ has by grace through faith. Just step up and say, Lord, I want to be that blessed person. And you can be righteous with God by grace through faith. And then the spirit of Christ. Once you understand that you're, you're right by grace, then the spirit will work in you. And it's the spirit who will then make us more and more like our saviour. More and more like this blessed person. Doesn't walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way. Sinners uh, sit with mockers. And the spirit will change then. Whatever your initial emotion was, the spirit will move your affection and make your affection increasingly for the law of the Lord and increasingly for your saviour, Jesus Christ. I think we should pray. The, the Psalms are prayers inspired by the Holy Spirit and we can pray them by the Holy Spirit of God. The Psalms are prayers of the Messiah, their God's anointed King. We can pray them in Christ. We can only pray in Christ at all and we can pray them through Christ, in Christ's name. Let's pray for a moment. Let's just stop. And I wonder whether you want to say to God, I'm so grateful that you... Uh, that I can come to you in Jesus' name. I just acknowledge at this moment in time that I have no right to bring prayers at all. Um, but thank you. And we'll just ask God to make us more like this person. Lord, how amazing that your throne room is open to us this morning. And we confess, we recognize, we acknowledge uh, that against your glorious kingship and holiness, we have no right to prayer. We have no right of access before you this morning and yet we do because you've given it to us in Christ because the spotless lamb has died so even we people who have stood in the place of mockers can, can stand in Christ forgiven this morning and bring our prayers to you our prayers are, first of all, Lord, Father God, praise uh, today. Praise that you are great. Praise you for your kingship. Praise you because you are worthy. 
And our prayers are then that we want to be like the blessed man, the blessed woman who, who meditates on your Lord day and night. We confess that's not us and yet you still accept us. So by your spirit, please change our, uh, our affections. Increase our affections for your word and increase our affection for your son, Jesus. Even in this moment that we pray, please do that in our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.